0: You would turn in your Bibles to First uh, Samuel chapter twenty. This is a, a passage uh, as Chris had asked me earlier in the summer, would I would I be able to preach? And you bet! I'm glad to do so. And I was. Uh, he told me nineteen was what we needed to do, and so about. Three weeks ago or so, I emailed him and and I said, hey, I'm listening to you and Paul and y'all lead, and I don't know if we're going to get there by the time I I, I get there. Do you still want me to do 19? He said, no, just, he just wrote me back, no, just do 20. And so he added 20 more verses to my study uh, here today, but uh, that's okay. I'm glad to do this. Last week, we heard from Dr. Bob about what it means to be a true friend, the type uh, of commitment that both David and Jonathan had in in order to forge that kind of of friendship that God intended. Dr. Bob talked about the love and honesty and loyalty and how their friendship was legendary. What a great duo of friendship. It got me to think, and that's scary, what about the great friendship duos throughout history? Some of these are going to be great. Some of them I'm going to Pretty go downhill pretty quick. First, uh, Lewis and Clark. I mean, that was a great duo, wasn't it? I mean, they they helped chart paths and and help us discover the new world. And uh, uh, we studied them in school. But then I'm going to drop pretty quick. How about the Lone Ranger and Tonto? That's a great, great duo of the past. Lucy and Ethel. If you don't know, kids, if you don't know who Lucy and Ethel is, talk to some of us that doesn't have any hair or gray hair or whatever, and we'll tell you a little bit about them. Batman and Robin. That's the old original OG, right? I like them. Okay. Starsky and Hutch. I mean, they nailed it in the 70s with those big flyaway collars, right? I mean, you knew they were in the 70s. I love their rigged uh, muscle car there. Laverne and Shirley, I watched them, enjoyed them. Han Solo and Chewbacca, though you, it's right, Star Wars. Cagney and Lacey, I mean, they were tough ladies, detectives. I mean, that was impressive. Uh, Crockett and Tubbs, my heart right here. For about two years, I did not wear socks at church of these guys right here a lot of linen too all right timon and pumbaa uh-huh uh-huh great great friends phineas and ferb that's my children's favorite all right uh michael jordan scotty pippen greatest duel on the basketball court in my opinion they may not be friends any longer but at least they did it and they made it look effortless on the court and then my favorite friends of all time bacon and eggs they, are, they may not be friends, but they're my friends, okay? I love a good friendship story, a friendship story that's uh, of significance, of, that's made a difference. I love reading about them, how two people from different backgrounds come together to make things happen, and it's, it's pretty fun to, to follow those stories, those storylines. I love listening to people, how they become close friends. It's a lot of fun. Through trials, through difficulties, through celebrations in life, how friends, uh, through tragedy, how they work through those things together, celebrate those things. Friends are people we love with our very own. Souls, And we'll talk a little more about that in a moment. Friends believe in what is mine is yours. I'll do whatever it takes to, to meet your needs. I'll go to the ends of this earth. I'll give you whatever you need to succeed, to be protected, to feel love, to know who God is in your life. David and Jonathan were those type of friends. We learned a little bit about those attributes this past week. but We're going to continue down that theme today a little more. Now you got to understand what's going on here, and you're going to sense it as we get into these uh, verses. You're going to see that they, these two, can, in their words to each other, how they go back and forth, their interchange here, they're struggling. They know something's afoot, something's on them, something is, is big, it's heavy, it's weighing them down. And so I want you to feel, I, I've, I've talked to my wife Tessa about this as I prepared, I really want folks to feel what Jonathan And David are are sensing in their friendship, in their world around them. Look at verses 1 through 4. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide it from me? It is not so, Jonathan said. But David vowed again. He's again wanting to be sure. Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David is perplexed. David is struggling here. He's scratching his head, trying to figure out why does the monarch, why does Saul, the one he, he has sworn allegiance to, why is he coming after him? Why does everything seem to be falling apart? Jonathan reaffirms his allegiance to his his dear friend, his brother-in-arms, David. These two were probably 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that range here. They've only known each other for a few years, but they've served alongside each other, making a difference for the kingdom of Israel together. And Jonathan reaffirms his allegiance to David in verse 2. But then if we were to read verse 4, then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Whatever you say, I will do for you, David. Powerful, powerful testimony of friendship. Powerful testimony of knowing that God is, has his hand on his friend here I find it telling here that the most popular man in all of Israel at this time, even more popular than the king of Saul, king Saul, king of Israel, was worried about his relationship with his earthly authority. Just think about that for a moment. He's struggling with it. He's had the hand of God on his life. He knows something is, that God's uh, uh, work and his spirit is living in him and, and has brought great victory for the people of Israel because of, of, God, of, of David's uh, uh, selflessness and being uh, utilized by God to make a difference for Israel and for Yahweh. And yet, and yet David could very easily just say, I'll tell you what, he better be glad he hasn't made me mad. I'm the most popular guy in all the land. Why Why? why, would, you, why would Saul, you better be careful you not. don't cross me? Because he could have very easily, have you looked at the scoreboard, Saul? I've lapped you two or three times. He didn't do that with his dear friend, Jonathan. Out of respect, out of honor. Uh, being uh, having a humble heart. Now, some of us guys do that, don't we guys? Or maybe it's locker room chatter, or whatever. We say things like, uh, uh, you know, if, that, if I ever see that yahoo again, I'll tell him what's up. I'll set him straight. I mean, we we talk real big with bluster a lot of times, some of us guys especially. And that's not what David did here. He didn't do that. And he he honored him. Even Saul and Jonathan in the midst of his fear in the midst of his being perplexed. Look at verses 5 through 11. So David, he, he comes up with a plan, a beginning of a plan. The new moon feast was upon them, and back in Numbers uh, chapter 28, 11, the new moon offering is commanded for the first time. That's the first time we see it. On the first of every month, present present, I did that again, present to the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. This was the time for the Israelites to consecrate the upcoming month, to set apart and, 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 and agree with God about that, God, you have brought a new month for us to serve you and to live for you. They were, there were offerings being given, sacrifice, feasting and worship. And I would say also, Probably this is the time where the generals and all the different uh, uh, warlords and people that are serving Saul would come together. And not only do they worship God and, 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 be, and, and sacrifice and consecrate themselves, but they also probably did some planning. And this was a place that David probably needed to be. I mean, he was, you know, he had, at that point in time probably would have been there. He would have been missed not only by Saul, but those around, uh, around Saul. And so, David said, uh, this is what we'll do. He tells Jonathan, he will hide out in a field, and then he says, if your father misses me at all, then say, David, earnestly ask leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. David will be okay. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by Saul for David. Now, David is not simply coming up with a plan to escape Saul's murderous tendencies or to at least test Saul's uh, resolve here. David also wants to know, and you can see it as evidence in for, further words and conversations with Jonathan in this chapter. David wanted to know for sure his friend was with him and that this plan, through this plan, be able to carry out this plan and therefore showing David that Jonathan was truly committed to David. Jonathan's own dad had already tried to kill, kill David. Already, I, I, you know, the question, I guess, what David's probably thinking is: Blood thicker than water. Is his allegiance going to be with his father, which makes sense, or what he's telling me is it really going to be with me? And you can understand Jonathan's probably a little frustrated with his dear friend. I mean, frustrated he keeps being asked, but David needs to be sure. It wants to be sure. And so Jonathan, Jonathan says, sees and senses the anguish in David, and he exclaims, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Come on, David. You know I got you, you and me. We're like this. We're together. And Then we look at verses 12 through 17. Jonathan says, takes David's plan and comes up with an ingenious way of reporting back to to David, Saul's intentions. But before he shares the plan, Jonathan shares the plan to his friend, he first wants to again give encouragement and then he wants to make a humble, rather large humble, (laughs) request. First, Jonathan says to David, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Words, Means something David you and I know that God had set apart my father to lead Israel Samuel had anointed him and we have brought brought in great victory but I am now telling you that I see God the same God that has his hand on my father or did have his hand on my father he has it on you I mean it's an anointing of sorts it's an understanding of where God is. It's a declaration of faith that Jonathan has here, and he's trying to let his brother in arms, his dear, dearest of friends, David, know this. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, in verse 13. He is continually lifting David's spirits because he loves him as, he, as a brother, yes, but primarily because Jonathan knows whom... David represents the plan and the favor of God was coming through David. He encourages David, but he also makes this humble request of David. Look there in verses 14 through 17. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my my house forever. And when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again, there it is, again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. Pivotal time in a pivotal chapter. These dear friends who have fought alongside each other, Laughed and fellowshiped while eating at the same table. Telling jokes for a short amount of time as adolescent, as as young men coming of age. Letting their brotherly love be the bond that binds. Receiving uh, heroes welcome together as they both walk into different settlements in different parts of Israel. You can imagine the things they had already seen together as buddies. And yet those things, those memories are not the tie that binds. It's the love they have for each other here. And they, and they make that vow again because they love him as his own soul. Years later in 2 Samuel 9, David did remember the house of Jonathan or really the house of Saul. He asked Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, say that five times fast, real fast, okay? Mephibosheth to sit and eat at King David's table, therefore securing his safety and providing favor. Notice the irony, the irony, it's dripping here. Hope you can catch it in your hand, but notice the irony here. David was not allowed to enjoy sitting at the table of Saul. Oh, he sat at the table of Saul for some time, but it got so bad he didn't know at that moment in time could he stay there and and make it through the meal. The irony here is years later, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, is honored by David, King David, and is allowed to sit at King David's uh, a table, and therefore receive the blessing, receive protection, receive honor. And that didn't happen in any monarch at that time. When a new monarch uh, uh, it comes into, an, into power, they kill off all their siblings, and then they kill off the, the predecessors as well. Anybody, not just the siblings, but anybody and they, th- that's tied to that family that could try to claim the throne. And that was a big ask of Jonathan, but David honored it. And you see it here in 2 Samuel 9. Oh, how the table turns. See the irony? See the irony. David allowed, wasn't allowed Mephibosheth to sit there. David gave favor. David honored his dear friend, Jonathan. In this moment, as Jonathan and David strategize on how to gauge where Saul is in regard to the feeling about David, uh, his feeling about David, We see two dear souls coming to grips with things that are about to change. Have you ever been there with friends or family where you know something's afoot, something's about to change? It's heavy. There's a heaviness. You can cut it with a knife. That's what these two are feeling here. I want you to, again, feel what they're feeling. There's this sense of urgency. There's a sense of pain. There's this inevitable inevitability going on in their hearts and in their minds. This shifting sands of allegiances. Jonathan had even been sent to kill David in the, the chapter before. It was seemed to be spinning out of control as their intimacy as good friends had reached its apex and at the same time was being challenged. While I don't want to press this comparison too hard, this reminds me of Jesus and the disciples. You see, as Jesus was sensing the impending end of his earthly ministry. You can see in the scriptures, you can see in the gospels how there's a quickening of his speaking, his teachings to those closest to him. There seems to be his his teaching became more pointed and direct. And he would say things like, there's going to be a point in time coming soon where I will not be with you much longer. There's going to be a time where it's not going to be like this again. Now, again, put yourselves in the disciples' uh, seats for a moment. Here's a guy that you've given up everything to follow. Here's your teacher. You've seen him perform amazing miracles. you see seen him uh, uh, challenge the authorities. You've seen him make a difference in, in, in all of Israel and in their own lives. You've come and uh, grown to, to love your brothers sitting next to you at the table. Oh, you may fight like brothers and sisters, but you love them tremendously you've served alongside each other and now the leader of this band of brothers this group is saying i'm not going to be with you much longer you can imagine how that heavy that felt and weighed on them That's similar to what was going on here with jonathan and david scary hard to face and really you just don't want to hear it you just want to plug your ears and say don't tell me that don't, let's don't go there. Let's, let's just forget it's not happening, but it is. Look at verses 18 through 23. We see the plan to warn David, or at least to communicate with David, Saul's intentions. Jonathan says, the arrows he will shoot will tell the tale. They will signal the reality of David's situation. Jonathan was saying to him, either Saul's heart has changed towards David and there is safety for you and the arrows will go this direction and show you that way, or Saul is still determined to kill David and the Lord has sent you away because the arrows went that direction. The Lord has sent you away. Again, words mean something here. It's a huge phrase. The kind of love that these two God following brothers had for each other can only be explained as two young men who followed their God first and followed their God together, therefore, sealing their friendship, knowing together the will of God. That's powerful. That's a powerful thing. It's hard enough to know the will of God yourself, right? By yourself but how wonderful it is to have a co-laborer to, that you're in tune with, that you love with your very own soul to be able to say to that person, hey, we're going to figure this out together. Hear me when I say this. Because their friendship was built around love and their desire to walk with God, they were wholly in tune to the desires of their God. That is a great place to be. Holy in tune with the desire of God, but they did it together. They did it as friends. God was up to something in David's life, and therefore God's direction for Israel was going to go through David. However, the arrows were going to land that day. Jonathan and David, these best friends, this dynamic duo, would both know the direction that God wanted them to go. That's powerful and should never be discounted. Do you have friends like these? Do you have a friend like Jonathan or like David? In this day and time there are friendships that seem to be just surface oriented. Because of social media, busyness and competitiveness, social media makes us think like we have a bunch of friends. We have competitiveness in our day and time or our, our, the, the sin of comparison. We try to measure up and compare ourselves to someone else. Do you have a friend, a true friend, that sees you for who you are and you, them as well, and it's okay? Do you have a friend like that? I find it tragic when I hear that people really don't have close friends ones that we love as we love our own souls. Sometimes you realize the kind of friend you have throughout the long, a long period of time. As time goes by, maybe decades, you realize, you know, this person has been by my side the whole time. They are a dear friend and we're growing old together. We get to enjoy each other because of time passing. Sometimes a friend like Jonathan and David is forged through the crucible of difficulty, of tragedy, or uh, a change in life upheaval, however it happens, a passage of time or through some kind of difficult moment in life, however that friendship is forged, do you have such a friend? Think about it for a moment. Consider that person. Last week we heard Dr. Bob talk about the attributes of such a friendship. I challenge each one of us to go back maybe today, hopefully this week, go back and watch Dr. Bob's sermon. He gave some wonderful attributes on what it means to be a friend. Are you such a friend as described in that message? Go back and watch it. I have a dear friend. His name is Josh. And we were young pastors 25 years ago, somewhere in there dear friends, that we just happened to be in, in a location. God had placed us there. I was in a town of about 2,000. He was a town about 10 or 15 minutes away, about three or 400. I call them the suburb of our town. But we were both Baptist pastors in small, rural, West Texas Baptist churches. Young, wet behind the ears. Not perfect, but trying to do our best. Chief bottle washers, janitors, teachers, and yes, sometimes preachers. And Josh and I got to know each other, had young families at the same time, and he knew what I was going through and I knew what he was going through for a lot of reasons because we were in similar situations. And in the Baptist church, some of you have not been in the Baptist church and that's okay, <laughs> it's okay. I'm proud that I came from that heritage but because it's a, it's a, it was a wonderful heritage and has been a wonderful heritage still identify as such, but Baptist churches can sometimes fight and have dis, disunity and discord. My church, the church that God had called me, I knew that there was some difficulty in that church. I just didn't know how big, didn't know how big it was about to be. The church had voted years before to go in a certain direction. The church had voted. And it was that, that was under the lordship of Jesus. The church had, had decided... It didn't matter who the deacons were or the pastor was, the church had said this is where we're going, but our practice did not match. And the reason why our practice didn't match what the church had wanted to do, there was a small group of people in the church, they were not in leadership, but they were the leaders of the church, you know what I mean? And you had to kind of go behind the scenes and work through what you inherited as a pastor. And those people, a lot of them were pretty mean. And there were times they would threaten me in my job. There were times they did it publicly. And again, they're not perfect, and I wasn't perfect in how I handled it, but it was ugly at times. And there's another thing they did in those Baptist churches in those days, and many of them still do it, they have monthly business meetings. I mean, why not have a monthly business meeting where we can come and gripe together? And my job, it's in my job description, was to be the moderator of these business meetings every month on a Sunday night after church. We'd uh, be upset about the water heater, right? Should we buy a new hot water heater for the women's bathroom? I mean, come on. makes a difference. Should we go this direction for the youth group? Or should we go that direction? Should we buy a church bus? Those kind of things we would fight about or struggle with, so to speak. But a lot of the fighting had to do with those small group of people that just wanted to kind of do this. And they have been doing it for years, and I finally had uh, led the church. There was a time where I said, guys, gals, we've got to do something. The church has voted to go this direction. Our practice is not there. We've got to change. We've got to get it all online. We either need to, to, to rescind that vote or we need to change our practice. I wanted to change our practice. I wanted to go to a growth model and go in the direction the church had already voted to go. And we even put together a study committee to study it again. I mean, it, it was truly a Baptist situation. After about 18 months, it kind of came to a head. Now, remember, that's 18 business meetings. And even publicly, I had people point their finger at me. (laughs) I represented change, I guess, and I understand that. It was part of the deal. But they would say, you're a lucky man, or you need to leave, or this, that, and the other. And it was a hard time in my life. Thankfully, I had someone like Josh who walked through that difficult time. I didn't know if I was gonna have a job each, uh, in that week by week. It was a struggle for me and my family. But Josh was there along the way, praying with me, walking with me, struggling, uh, giving me advice, feeling, uh, taking, shouldering what I uh, was dealing with, trying to take it upon himself. But one thing that was really amazing, one contentious business meeting on a Sunday night I was trying to keep the peace, trying to be, uh, you know, don't talk at each other. Let's talk about the issue, only at the issue. Don't talk about people or at people. And I look up into the balcony and I see my friend Josh had snuck in. And he was praying. He was praying over that auditorium, that congregation. He was praying for my words. He was praying for the hearts of the people. He was praying for that church to go in the direction that God wanted it to go. And I knew that was the kind of friend that I wanted to be myself to him. It's the kind of friend that Jonathan and David were to each other. Through the crucible or through the difficulty, or through celebrations, it doesn't have to always be something negative. It can be something beautiful too. But through it all, you have a dear friend that walks with you and goes with you. Sometimes in moments of struggle, strife, disappointment, upheaval, a close friend will break through all the mess, all the junk, and he'll say or she'll say, however this ends up, whatever happens, we will know the will of the Lord together. I knew that if I didn't have a job that very next Sunday at that church, That we would know the will of the Lord together, Josh and I both, and our families would know. That's the kind of friend that you and I need. Look at verses 24 through 34 in chapter 20. So the feast of the new moon is upon them. And on the first day, Saul notices David is not at the table of the leadership council, the general's table, the Saul's family table. This is, again, where they would come together and probably not just sacrifice, eat, and tell jokes, and sing, and those things, but probably strategize as well. And David, their leader, one of the big leaders, the most popular guy in all the land was not there. Now, notice they, the scripture gives us a little insight into Saul's thought pattern there. It shows us his preoccupation. He's going, well, maybe he's unclean. He's off, off making sure he's clean so he, he can't be here to worship the Lord. But it essentially, it tells us that Saul is preoccupied with the one he knows is the chosen one. The one who will further God's plan for Israel. But on the second day, Saul, in our text, in verse 27 Saul inquires about David to Jonathan. he says, but on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? By the, by the way, the phrase of son of Jesse was not an honorific way to talk about David. Scholars would tell you in the way uh, this is, uh, was phrased that Saul was putting David in his place. Where is that lowly birthed young man, no name, son of Jesse? Where is he? I mean, Saul was right then and there already showing his heart, showing what that really what he was about. He was asking, uh, he was putting down the lineage of David, wanting to find David, but he also wanted to keep him in his proper place. Derisive. It's critical. It's jealous, and you'll see his actions in, in the days ahead and in the chapters ahead when we study them. You'll see Saul's fear in his words. Jonathan then gives David's excuse for not being there. In anger towards Jonathan, Saul insults him. He even insults his mother. And we're not talking the kind of uh, a playground, uh, your mama joke or anything like that. He really d- was ugly about Jonathan's old, his own mother and giving him a hard time. And then he ma- manipulates Jonathan here. He gives him a hard time that way as well. Not only does he, he talk lowly about, about uh, Jonathan's mother, but he talks lowly about... Yeah, or manipulates Jonathan. He says, you nor your kingdom will be established, Jonathan. Uh, this, this young man, your best friend, the one that you're giving this excuse for, the one that I am asking and inquiring about is the one that's going to eradicate our, our kingdom. Now, I find it interesting. Jonathan has is, is already been told and been sworn to by David, hey, we made a pact. I will honor you and your, and your family and your lineage. But look here, look here. It, he, not only does he, he manipulate his son, not only does he put down his son's own son's birth, but he tries to kill him. He throws the spear again. Now, he's good at throwing the spear. Oh, well, not so good. He likes to throw the spear. And as I said earlier this week with some of the pastors, Jonathan gets the point. Uh, it's bad, yeah. Dad joke. But Jonathan gets angry, his two emotions. He gets angry, and he's grieved in heart. He's angry probably about his dad, what his dad had done. He's probably angry because the reality has set in that he and his dear friend is not going to be what they dreamed together uh, their friendship would be. He's grieved in heart because of what he, the, the message he was going to have to give his friend out in the field. And here's what's interesting. Jonathan and Saul's relationship would never be the same. I mean, Jonathan was still going to serve his dad. He was still going to serve Israel, go into battle, be the dutiful son in that way, but not much love. Sad. Saul's sin continued to ruin lives. His sin continued to ruin relationships. And then 35 through 40, the next day, Jonathan reports to David. In verses 35 through 40, communicating that David is not safe. This would be a pivotal moment as David would now live a good while in exile. Scholars say maybe 10 years or so. Probably by the time he would assume the throne is around 30. And he was probably 18, 19, right here, 20 maybe. But uh, for the next 10 years... It would be pretty amazing, the stories, and you'll hear about them in weeks ahead, about friendship, about fellow uh, uh, fighters uh, that, that David was able to bring alongside him, but th- I'm telling you this, these next 10 years, uh, the stories about those 10 years, I mean, it's as good as any Hollywood script of, a, of a, an action, really a whole action genre or a series of movies. There would be exciting times, travels, exploits would be filled with God's favor and it'd be very exciting, to say the least. But what a waste, though. Just think about that. Stop for a moment. Saul had the two best supporters and advisors, one at his right and one at his left. He had Jonathan and David. These are two young men that were ready to serve, that they were in tune with what God wanted them to do, and Saul had them at his disposal, and he wasted it. It was not going to be. And then we get in the last two verses. See, we got through it, y'all. The last two verses here in 41 and 42. Because of Saul's sin and because of his disobedience, their hopes of a lifelong friendship will be cut short here. Look in verse 41. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone, stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, but David weeping the most. And then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. David is broken. Maybe not broken because he He knew where God was leading and God's hand was on his life, but just broken because he was hopeful. He was hopeful that Saul's heart had softened. He was hopeful that they could spend time together as as brothers and grow old together and see each other's grandkids and talk about each other's grandkids and exploits together. But it was not going to be. Their fears had been realized. The die had been cast. Yet in David's brokenness, look what he did in verse 41. Through his pain and, and, and frustration, he bows before Jonathan and gives respect to his dear brother. They embrace. They say their goodbyes. And then in verse 42, yes, in the middle of 42, and then they depart. In the middle of 42, uh, Jonathan, uh, again, calls out the, the covenant they made with each other, the promise they made to each other. But I love it. And this is a great thing to think about as friends. Jonathan commissions, essentially commissions, sends out his dear friend David. Now you must go. Now it's time. This is the moment. We now know the answer, and it's not to be what we wished it would be, but we now know the answer of God, and now I'm sending you out, brother. That's a great place to be, to be sent out by someone who loves you the most, someone that loves you as much as their own soul, someone that has your best interest, it's a commissioning. These two would see each other again, I believe one more time in First Samuel 23, as Saul is chasing after David, and we'll get to that in weeks ahead, but Saul is chasing after David, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose. This is First Samuel 23, 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Ah, that's a friend, isn't it? That's the kind of friend you and I need. That's the kind of friend Josh was to me years ago, strengthening your hand in God, lifting your hand. It kind of sounds like uh, Moses and Aaron, lifting your hands in God so that God can continue to do what he wants to do. What a friendship. What an amazing, dynamic friendship in these two. So where can we find such a friendship? Where do you go and look for such a friendship? Where are you going to find such a friend? Someone that can strengthen your hand in God. How about the church? Just just thinking just off the top of my head. How about here at South Spring? How about look for that kind of friend who can strengthen your hand in God in this room or in the ministries as we serve together? How about that kind of friend maybe through your service together, maybe through Bible study together, maybe through mentoring or, or small groups together, uh, you will have a better chance of finding a friend like Jonathan or, or like David here than you are anywhere else. Uh, we're not perfect. As we've been told and, and to been reminded, and I would definitely affirm this, we are dysfunctional. We are a dif- dysfunctional family. But in this family, we can find forever friends. And we can find the kind of friends that David and Jonathan were to each other. I know of a couple of guys here at South Spring who have become a David or Jonathan to each other. Through the ministries of this church, they've known each other five, six years since they've been attending here. They've known each other for a while, but through the ministries of the church and their willingness to be here regularly, Their lives have become intertwined with mutual respect, brotherly fidelity, and God provided love for each other. While both of these two men are broken, not perfect, they would tell you that first off. They are expectant brothers, I like that, expectant brothers, expectant as to what God is, has in store for them each individually, and for their families, and for uh, their friendship. These two guys have helped each other in the last year through some job changes, life struggles, tragedies, family celebrations, all the while asking God to be the center at, of, of what they do. In fact, a little over a year ago they started following the Bible app together and read the Bible together every day. Separately first and then they they put they either text or call each other and talk about they talk about what they learned that day. I mean that's close. That's a dear dear friend. These these men are striving to be the best husbands and fathers they can be but all the while spurring each other on in the faith. I met these two guys. I've, I've seen them before, but I met them, really got to know them through the ministry of, of some small group of men's ministries about, back in April, started going to the Waterburger. We've got men's groups that meet all over uh, this area, a lot of times in the Waterburgers at 6 a.m. Ours meets in Bullard, 6 a.m. every Tuesday, and these two guys, these two close friends, that do life together, that's a term we've heard a lot in the last few years. But these two guys lead that, that men's group. They're always going to be there. They're going to be the first there most of the time to make sure that we know this, that it, we're still on for the day. And if you miss, they might even text you. But I got to know them, and I was surprised that their friendship, their close friendship, had only really started this time last year. Again, they would known each other, seen each other, the ball fields with their children but really got to know each other through the ministries of the church. I was surprised to hear their Jonathan and David friendship had not been lifelong, because you would have thought differently. This very week, this, this Friday night, they rolled in back from having a family vacation together, their families. Some of you may know them, but all of you have seen them today already. Joseph Moore and Jeremy Ashley. In fact, this is them this week in vacation down on the coast. Joseph was baptized today by his friend Jeremy, his best friend Jeremy. Joseph has known Jesus for a number of years, but had never followed Jesus in believer's baptism through immersion. He had never uh, testified and followed in obedience to Jesus to be baptized, believer's baptism, after faith. And so he asked his friend, he asked his friend Jeremy, when he thought of who, who could baptize him, it was not, it was, he didn't bat an eye. He knew that Jeremy, his dear friend, Jeremy Ashley, was going to To baptize him. This is chosen family, and it is chosen family at its best. Blood relatives are great, I get it. They often are, but chosen family is the best. And when I say chosen family, here's the funny thing here's the funny thing is that you and I think we're the ones that do the choosing. Right, right. God has those kinds of friends for us, it may be for a season. A short while, but the great cause, like a great cause of, of David and, and Jonathan for some great cause like that in their story. It may be lifelong as we grow old together watching each other's grandkids, but the truth is being this kind of friend is sacred. It's lost in our culture today, but it is sacred, must be protected, must be elevated, must be, must be fought for. Even Jesus points out the sacredness of being a friend in John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you, I now call you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus, again, very pointed, Ministry is is is, is uh, winding down his earthly ministry, and he's saying that you're not servants. We're not just co-laborers. You're more than that. We are friends. I have revealed to you who I am, so I count you as a friend, and you you need to count me as a friend. Jonathan-David relationship. So start praying. Start praying for that kind of friend right now, if you don't have a friend. God's going to choose that person for you. Don't Push it, of course, but pray over it. Pray over it diligently for that chosen family member. If you already have one or more, great, wonderful. Praise the Lord. Ask God to continue to enrich that relationship and for sure do not take it for granted. Jonathan ended up dying years later in the battlefield. David mourned the loss of his dear friend Jonathan in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Within after and after this great friendship, Jonathan's faith in God's plan lived on. If Jonathan had not protected his best friend from Saul, probably the Old Testament would have ended with Goliath. Think about it: no king or uh, no king David, no Solomon, no temple, no line uh, leading a line of David leading to the Messiah. We owe our Judeo-Christian heritage history much of it to this dear, close, chosen family, dear friend, Jonathan, to his friend, David. An unsung hero, yes, but a friend indeed. This is the type of friend we all need, and this is the kind of friend we all need to be. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we admit that we are lazy at times, lazy at times our friendships we don't we don't work through them we're not diligent enough we don't seek your best we put things before our dear friends and lord we admit that heavenly father i pray that that you will bring people in our minds and our hearts today, maybe someone we already know that we can get to know better, invest our lives in, seek God's best in, lift their hand in God with. Or reveal to us the Jonathan, the David in our lives. Well, we thank you for those dear friends that have meant so much to us. Lord, in this church, Lord, may we be about bringing a culture of friendship. More than just fellow servants. More than just people who attend together, enjoy each other's company. May we be serious about friends here in this body of faith. We thank you for the ones we have here, we've met here. Continue to protect those relationships. Let it not be about us. May it not be about comparison. May it, it might not be about what we are missing, but what we give and what we share and give away. Lord, during this time of invitation, I pray that you will speak. That there be someone here that doesn't know you. Be someone here that that needs to, to, to hear a fresh word from you, that they'll respond to you in faith this day. Lord, you do your work and you do your business, and we'll be sure to thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.